When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Forward Progress on the Hammer Betting Network on this Tuesday, September 26th. We've got an action-packed show. We'll discuss both Monday night football games and what to make of a hobbled Joe Burrow, some film analysis on two specific games from last week, and we'll preview the Thursday night football game. Just a reminder, Forward Progress every Monday to Friday, 2 p.m., Hit that like button, subscribe, turn the notifications bell on so you don't miss anything, and it really helps to boost us in the algorithm. Of course, none of this will be possible without our sponsor, Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for the last 25 years. Competitive odds, your trusted sports book, Bet Smart, Bet Pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. With that being said, I'm your host, George Sofidis, and I'm excited to get this show on the road. I'm joined on Tuesdays, of course, by Sharp Clark, NFL originator, betting analyst at 4for4.com. Clark, I see that it says in your caption, loves losing money, betting on bad quarterbacks. Uh, you know, you talked about when you're wearing a hat, you had a good week, and when you're not, you didn't. And I, uh, as part of that, when I have a bad week, I'll be wearing a hat. So looks like both of us are recovering from a bad week this week. Yeah, it was it was looking really great, and then I just uh, I didn't I didn't win a single bet after the morning slate of games on Sunday. So I lost on the Panthers, betting on Andy Dalton, and then on Monday night, uh, Baker Mayfield is is not did not pull through for me. Yeah, I I texted my betting partner and I said, you know, you know, there's this a dynamic in football where quarterbacks usually win, good quarterbacks usually win, and. Why did we bet on all the bad ones this week? And what, what the hell are we doing with ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. Desmond Ritter too. I, it was just, uh, yeah. All right. Let, let's look at Monday night football game. Let's start with the Eagles bucks game. Uh, both of you, both you and I had money on the bucks. Were you surprised by how the game went? Yeah, I was, I was surprised. Uh, I, I was expecting a lot more aggressiveness from the Bucks' offense out the gate. They, they've been playing with such, like we talked about it last week, they've been playing with swagger. You know, Baker Mayfield's been testing downfield. And they came out and it was almost like, I mean, I mean, Ted Hubble said it in the interview. He said, we're trying to get to third and manageable. And it was just like, that's not how you defend your home field against a superior team. They, they came in scared. They played scared. Uh, they ran the ball into the wall of the Eagles defensive line repeatedly, setting up third and, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you know, putting it all on Baker Mayfield in difficult situations. And then the defense just played without heart. They weren't they weren't getting any penetration. They weren't tackling. It was a pretty pathetic performance from the Bucks. It didn't help when Carlton Davis game time decision doesn't go and then Jamel Dean gets hurt early. It's like right then I'm like, oh, we're, we're in some serious trouble here. Uh, Mike Evans had a couple big drops, but let's talk about Jalen Hurts. Uh, we heard the story now that him and Jason Kelsey were fighting through a sickness. But to be but to be honest, he has not looked great, even though the team keeps winning. What is the issue right now? Is it like Shane Steichen is gone and the offense is not calling exotic enough plays? Is it teams have enough film on Hertz now, 
Or is it just that maybe last year was a best case scenario for him? I think it's a, a little bit of everything, right? Last year, they had a, a very easy schedule overall. They played most of their games with a solid lead throughout most of the game. And the ability to, like, when defenses have to focus on the run and have to account for both the running back and Jalen Hurts run, running on design runs, it just created so much time in the pocket for him to just dice downfield with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. So he, he's just sitting back there all day. And this year... It, it, it seems like things have been a little bit, uh, he's been sped up, his processing speed's been sped up a little bit, and that's made him a little uncomfortable. Um, I do think play calling is an element of it. We've seen Shane, Steich, Shane Steichen perform really well in Indianapolis. So that's that's probably something that will get better as the season goes on, at least you know I would hope for if I'm an Eagles fan. Um, but I do think that some of it is just, yeah, Jalen Hurts just has never been that level of quarterback that can just dominate games. He, he is benefited from extremely favorable circumstances with an elite offensive line and elite playmakers and elite play caller. Um, so I think it's reasonable to expect, you know, this kind of performance to be the kind of the new normal moving forward. Well, then it's going to be really interesting when he goes up against one of the top defenses in the league and how he will look. Let's move on to the Bengals and Rams. Before we discuss the story of the game, Joe Burrow, let's talk about the Rams offensive line after Alaric Jackson and Joe Nopum went down. After they went down, it's like all the nightmares from last year were back. Stafford had no time to throw. A Bengals pass pass rush that was toothless against the Ravens last week looked very good again once the Rams had uh, their backups in. It, 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 is this going to be problematic? Like, Is it this fragile that losing one Alaric Jackson might turn this thing into a bad situation? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And that was that was a read on the Rams coming in, right? I I've been, you know, publicly high on the Rams since, you know, before the season started when they had Cooper Cup especially. But um the, but I didn't bet their season win total over. I didn't bet any bullish Rams futures because they're so fragile. And so thinking that they're good today is different from thinking that they're going to be good the whole season. And so all it takes is a couple injuries with such a fragile team and things can go downhill fast. So I think yeah, it's possible we're starting to see that already. You know, Cup being gone has been a big deal. Uh, Puka Nakua has filled in quite nicely. But if the offensive line goes down, we saw like Stafford he tries his best. But when there's two defenders in your face and receivers aren't getting open, it's just there's only so much one man can do. We, we talk about like projecting a team throughout the year and like obviously teams with, you know, a lot of moving parts or like young quarterbacks, we project the curve up for them. And both of you were discussing like the Rams will be the best they'll be early in the season. And they might uh, drift off at the end once like, you know, their depth gets tested with one or two injuries that don't even like seemingly aren't large. Like Alaric Jackson in a bubble isn't a great uh, left tackle, but he means a lot to a team that doesn't have much depth. Let's talk about Joe Burrow. Um, I think we can all agree he's clearly not Joe Burrow from last year yet. Um, he's taken a lot more underneath shots. The the deep ball isn't there right now. Um, how do you continue to assess uh, this Bengals team moving forward? Like, is it just going to be the day he has a really good game and looks like his old self? That's the day we realize, okay, they're back to their best form. And until then, we're just going to have to discount him as a dis, uh, as a diminished Joe Burrow? What I'm looking for is mobility, scrambling out of the pocket. He has not shown that at all this year. And granted, he's not, he's never been Patrick Mahomes, never been Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, whatever. 
he does have a side of his game where he can escape pressure and create plays on the run. It's not it's not his strongest suit, but he can do it. He can scramble for those seven yards if he, you know, if the defense is committing to coverage, double covering Jamar Chase downfield. And he's not done any of that. And so now what they're limited to is him in the pocket, quick passes, and that's just such a limited offense. So until I see him actually make plays outside the pocket, you have to treat this offense as a downgraded version of what it can be. Yeah, Eric Eager said something poignant last night on the watch along with Rob Bazzoli. He said, if you take all quarterbacks at 100%, you know, Joe Burrow's unquestionably a top four or five guy. If you took every quarterback and then put him at 75%, a guy like Joe Burrow gets more diminished because he, he didn't have as many physical tools in the beginning. So he needs 100% health along with his intelligence to maximize his skills. The second that you take away some... Uh, of his physical abilities, it, it really is noticeable. Not to spend too much time on the Bengals, I want to move into some film review, uh, namely the Saints-Packers game. This was a, a dynamic that we found out a lot of guys will be missing from the Packers just before the game went off. I guess uh, Matt LaFleur made a decision to opt for health going into a big Thursday matchup against the Lions. And, you know, a lot of people came in uh, late money on the Saints once the news came out. Uh, Saints flip to favorites. Packers end up uh, coming back and winning the game. Clark, break down the film for me. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the Saints were dominating that game for most of the game. And then after Derek Carr went down, everything changed. Um, and I know that, you know, Derek Carr doesn't play defense, but there was there was a noticeable shift uh, on the Saints sideline on this, you know, the Saints, everything they were doing was just sort of like, you know, not the same. Jameis Winston hangs too too long in the pocket. He may, takes too long to make decisions. He can make some nice throws, but that that consistency and leadership just wasn't there. Uh, but what I really took from this game was, was on the Packers side of the ball. Mm. I've been much more impressed with Jordan Love than I think uh, I was expecting, and especially considering the numbers, right? He, he's got low completion percentage over expected, uh, low success rate. He does have a high EPA per play, which is kind of an interesting split. But what I've been impressed with is the things that they're asking him to do and his willingness to make all the throws. When they were losing, it was an aggressive downfield passing attack. He's not afraid to throw into coverage and try to put it where his man can get it. And, and that works. Uh, you have to be able to do that in order to be an elite quarterback. Now, I'm not saying that Jordan Love is an elite quarterback, but I think that they're setting him up to be that, right? They're not treating him with kid gloves. They're not saying, we're going to limit what you have to do. We're going to, you know, make things easy for you. This is not a Jared Goff offense. This is not a Desmond Ritter offense. This is not a even a Brock Purdy offense. This is a, we think we have the guy at quarterback and we're going to win games with him. Mm. And I think an important piece of context for this is that the Packers have been losing so many offensive players, right? They, Christian Watson hasn't played yet. Aaron Jones has been out two games. Uh, they were missing two offensive linemen in this game against a fierce defensive front. And um, lost Zach Tom in the middle of the game. Like three offensive linemen stutters gone. Yeah. And and he has been and he's been handling it. They're two and one, a big comeback victory against a good defense. I, I've been very impressed with what I've seen. And I think, you know, when we look back last year, we had all these excuses for Justin Herbert because of the offensive line injuries and skill player injuries. What is Jordan Love's baseline if he has a healthy? I mean, the offense was not even that great to begin with, right? These aren't elite weapons. So that was the story coming in was they don't have great receivers. So how good can Jordan Love be? Yeah. Well, he's been pretty good and they've been injured. So I think that there's, uh, you know, the Packers uh, approach to the season was we don't need to win this year. This is a long term project. We're going to see what we have and kind of build on something. 
Um, and I think that it's it's working. <laughs> I think that by the end of the year, they're going to be even better than they are now, provided they don't keep getting hurt. Um, so I think my takeaway from that game is that trust the process with Jordan Love. It may not be pretty every week, but I think what they're building is a long-term solution. And he's, I mean, the the play design and the the play fakes and every he's like mimicking Aaron Rodgers. Like this is what we talked about. He's had years to learn from one of the best, and he's implementing it. So um, I think I think that's something I'm excited about. Yeah, it's hard not to be a Green Bay fan uh, this morning and think to yourself, we're two and one despite all our injuries. We're 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 we have a crucial game Thursday against the Lions that could put us in control of the entire division. And we're we're seeing a, a quarterback that's willing to take risks and is going to have a lot of growth in the future. I, I usually don't watch film for uh, player level analysis. I like to get a feel for how the game, how the teams are. Um, my only two things that stand out was uh, Alante Taylor flashed for the Saints, and it's key because Paulson Adebo, their number two corner, was out. And you know, normally. Um, you would downgrade a team when they lose their number two corner. But when you see a player like Taylor step up, you start to think, okay, maybe the saints actually are pretty deep at corner and they can afford an injury. And then Rashawn Gary is a total game wrecker. This Packers defense might be really good. We talked about, you know, once Derek Carr went down, you know, Jameis didn't score any points for the Packers um, for the saints after that. But the Packers defense has been playing really well, all things considered this year. And, um, there's a lot, a lot of reasons to be bullish on the Packers moving forward. My question for you is Derek Carr's hurt. Um, we saw how much they struggled um, when Jameis came in, but of course it's different with a week of prep, getting first team reps, knowing you're the guy. What do you downgrade from Carr to Winston? What, what, when you see that, how do you prepare yourself to what to expect from the saints? I think a slight downgrade is, is necessary and reasonable. I, I also think that it's important to recognize that Derek Carr has not been, it hasn't really hit a ceiling yet with the Saints, right? This is a new offense for him. It's it's taken a few weeks. They haven't had Alvin Kamara. They'll get him back this week. Um, so, I, so I think the theoretical downgrade is probably bigger than the actual downgrade, right? So, so like if you take the way they've been playing over the last three weeks to what we should project with Jameis Winston, it's not much of a downgrade. But if you take what we might have expected, you know, as the continued upside of Derek Carr getting comfortable, adding Alvin Kamara, then I think that downgrade might be more significant. So it, it sort of comes at a good time, I think. Hopefully Carr can can only miss, you know, a couple weeks, if anything, um, if you're a Saints fan or division backer like myself. Um, Jameis Winston's not the worst backup quarterback, but it, it's, it's like I said earlier, it's the processing speed. He, he, he sits back there and it's, it's kind of like, he doesn't have that timer. It's like, okay, throw it, throw it, throw it. And it's like too late. Um, and so the, he's got playmakers though. And last time he played with playmakers of disability, you know, you're talking about Chris Olave, Rashid Shaheed, um, Michael Thomas. The last time he played with guys this good, he, you know, threw for what, 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, uh, a bunch of picks too. But, but I think um, it's reasonable to expect at least uh, a competent Saints offense, even with backup. The other thing that Jameis does is he increases the variance of a game, whereas Derek Carr gives you a bit of a safer baseline and, you know, maybe limited uh, ceiling. Uh, Jameis gives you all the ranges of outcomes in a game. So that'll be fun to watch. Clark, I watched the Colts and Ravens game again. Um, I watched it live in real time. It's one of the few bets that I got right uh, this past week. Um, a couple thoughts I had. Um Welcome to the new offense, which looks uh, remarkably like the old offense. We were sold on 
Lamar Jackson potentially throwing for 5,000 yards, according to himself. And like they were sitting at halftime with eight completions for 95 yards. And it, it actually became predictable where Indy started selling out to stop the run on third down. Ravens had a stretch where they had six possessions and they gained 30 yards. Now they had some long drives as well, but they're, they're, they're clearly once they got into a game where they got tested, they went back to their old comfort zone as opposed to exploring this pass heavy offense that we were promised. The the thing um, that baffled me is like the Colts vulnerabilities are in their secondary. And if you can't even take, take advantage of that, that like that's problematic. What's going to happen when you play a team that doesn't have any vulnerabilities in the secondary and also has a good front seven, like maybe their opponent this week. Um, the other part is like defensively, I, I thought the Ravens struggled with a physical O-line like Houston since he didn't give that to them and Colts gave him a dose of that. And the Browns again, have a good offensive line. So it's going to be a good test. I also, um, I was also very excited about the Colts offense. I, we saw uh, some glimpses from Minshew. We all, uh, we also saw the bad, like his inability to see um, Kyle Hamilton blitzing off the slot for three sacks. He had no clue he was there. Like each time I'm like, really? Yeah. Are you, it's not even your blind side. You, you have no feel for him coming off the edge. Um, Zach Moss looked pretty good, although it was a lot of volume. And, and I just keep thinking to myself, Anthony Richardson, with Jonathan Taylor, with an O-line that looks like it's back to some pre-last you know, last year levels, and then a couple weapons like Josh Downs has stepped up, and I'm just thinking this offense could get better as the season goes. But uh, let's talk about the game, right? Um, the Colts had a lot of bad, uh, a, a lot of fortunate luck, right? They, they got um, a lot of bounces. Like the Ravens killed one of their drives, with a Kenyon Drake fumble that could have put the game 14, nothing and would have changed the entire game script. And, um, you know, also Lamar fumbled inside his 20, but despite all that, the Ravens actually cost themselves the game. There was, um, a safety with two minutes and three seconds left uh, that put them up 19, 16. And they were, the Colts had to punt the ball off. The Colts had one timeout left and they punted to Zay flowers and he needs to return this ball to drain those three seconds off the clock so that the Colts lose that timeout. If he did that, the Colts best case scenario was going to get the ball back with 30 to 35 seconds. Instead, he calls for a fair catch when nobody's around gifting the Colts a timeout while the Ravens are trying to run the game out. They also get a holding penalty to gift the Colts another penalty, uh, another timeout. And by the time the Colts got the ball back, they had a minute and 45 left on the clock as opposed to the, the 30 seconds that they should have had. So when I think of all the mistakes, the Ravens also like with some poor end game management actually cost themselves the victory. Yeah, totally agree. I, I, I reverse jinxed it. So I, I bet on the Colts money line and uh, I know that a lot of people were on the Ravens as a teaser leg. And I, I tweeted when, when they took the safety, I, I tweeted, you know, that was a crazy way for the Ravens to cover the teaser leg. Because in my mind, there was no way the Colts were going to send that game to overtime. And then all that weird stuff happened. And I was like, wait, what is what is happening? Now we're in overtime. And then there was the, the misplay call that everyone saw at the end of the game in overtime. I mean, you can blame the refs and say, well, you know, they should have called that. Maybe they should have called that. But that wasn't even the Ravens' first possession in overtime. The Ravens had plenty of opportunities to win that game and did not do so. 
And I, and it's a little concerning, right? I mean, we saw last year uh, the Ravens had a big lead against the Giants, and they fumbled that one away in similar fashion. Like Lamar Jackson, you know, fumbles a snap and throws a pick and fumbles. It's just like this is not an isolated event. Like the Ravens have had a hard time closing these types of games. Yeah. Um, and, and I also think it's an interesting look. You know, a lot of people try to quantify coaching edges or those kinds of things where it's like, well, you know, like this team's better coach, so you got to give them a little bit of a boost. I would consider the Ravens to be one of the best coach teams in the league. You know, I would expect their special teams to be highly rated and a, a boneheaded special teams decision and then some some poor, you know, game management cost them the game. So it's like, that's why I don't factor that stuff into my my angles. It's like, to the extent that coaching matters, it should be reflected in the numbers that I'm making myself, right? It's not, not something I layer on top of what yeah. I evaluate as performance overall. Yeah, that part's the subjective part because there's also two levels of great coaching. There's like Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan, excellent play designers. Kyle Shanahan oftentimes gets very conservative in spots that he shouldn't be, frankly, uh, and ends up punting it a lot. And then you have maybe some coaches that are not the best from a uh, scheme department, like, you know, Vrabel and Tomlin, but they, they coach situational football really well. So it's hard to quantify exactly what a coach is worth. And I agree with you. That could be that's just the added layer when you add in the subjective part. Uh, let's talk about um, two big stories coming out of this. Uh, you texted me Monday morning and you said, hey, it's time we have the Tua conversation. So I will just uh, pull the string and let you start. All right. This is a, this is a t you can't have this conversation without bringing nuance to the table. And so few people do. If, if at this point you refuse to recognize that Tua is good, then you're doing one of two things, and neither of these two things are good for handicapping football. The first is you're refusing to let go of your priors, right? He was really bad for his first two years. He was bad, bad quarterback, no doubt. I, I was very critical of Tua. But if, but if you are stuck on those evaluations and not adapting to what you've seen over the last two years, then you're not handicapping football correctly. The second thing that you're trying to do if you are still low on Tua is you're trying to isolate quarterback play from circumstances and say, well, you know, Tua's fine, but like it, this is really just Tyree Kill, Mike McDaniel, this offensive scheme. That's that's why Tua is succeeding. But that type of, you know, extrapolation of individual parts out of a team is not useful for handicapping. Again, like this is the team that he's in. So who cares? You're going to be looking for angles to fade Tua because you doubt him and think that it's all circumstances. Those people were the people that bet on Denver when they found out Jalen Waddle was out because like, oh, well, you know, let's see how Tua does without Jalen Waddle now, right? Like the fact is he is succeeding in this offense. And the way that I view it is Mike McDaniel has evaluated Tua. I, I, I'm convinced that Mike McDaniel went into a room by himself. This is completely made up, but this is what I'm convinced happened. He went to a room for like a week and he watched Tua film from college, NFL, for a week and was like, I, I need to understand this person, this player. And then and then he built an offense that was like, okay, I'm gonna, I know what he does well, I know what he does poorly, and I'm gonna build an offense that allows him to do what he does well. And so what that is, is like all of these, all of these routes where Tua can take the snap and has that really quick footwork to set up his his throw. And all all three of his reads are Lines. like in such it's it's a condensed area, right? And it's a, it's a large area of the field because of the speed they have in the outside, but it's a condensed vision. And so he can step back, not there, not there, there. And it's like that quick decision-making is so lethal. Um, and so when it comes to the conversation of is Tua the MVP of the NFL, we have to think about what MVP means, right? And I don't think that it means best individual player, 
right? Because if that was the case, then Mahomes would win every year and it wouldn't be a fun award. The MVP is who's the most valuable player that year. And that includes circumstances. And I think it's okay to recognize that. So if the Dolphins continue doing what they're doing, then Tua would be a worthy MVP candidate, not because I think he's the best quarterback in the league. He's not. But because what he's bringing to the table in this offense with these circumstances is better than what any other player is doing in the NFL right now. Um, now, whether or not he'll keep this pace up is another question. But but the, the right now, Miami Dolphins fans should be excited and should be thrilled with the first three weeks. I love it. I was texting with uh, Arjun Menon, who also had some of the same opinions on Tua once upon a time. And we both landed on how the genius of Mike McDaniel being he was the savant that Kyle Shanahan hid from the world, right? He let every other assistant get plucked and had uh, their time in front of the camera. And Mike McDaniel was the guy he hid in the closet because this guy is a genius. He he's he, he's reinventing offensive football in an era where people are saying offensive football is down this year. And he did all the little things, even in training camp, he put a camera on Tua's helmet to watch to see what Tua was seeing on every play and what his reads and how he understands football and everybody laughed at it and it's like no this this is a guy who's gaining an edge he wants to understand his quarterback so that he can maximize his quarterback and right now that's what they're doing and uh i cannot wait for sunday because it's going to be a massive game let's talk about the other guy who people wanted to call elite we're ready to give a super bowl ceiling to the jacksonville jaguars right now they're one and two they just came off of a uh, a shocking upset to the Houston Texans. All right, Clark, what's your level of concern with Trevor Lawrence and this Jacksonville Jaguars team? It's not very high. I, I mean, my concern level is not very high. I, I, Trevor Lawrence has been fantastic, in, in my opinion. He's had no time. You know, he's had a lot of throws that are very, you know, well-placed and maybe dropped, maybe fit on the sideline, those types of things. Um, but everything is so hard for that team right now, right? It's like he has to be perfect for them to win. A lot of what happened against Houston was sort of weird, sort of random. Like it's that, dumb luck. It's it's they had four drives in a row that go into Jacksonville territory, and they got like uh, three points to show for it. And then the 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 kick returner on Houston, the fum the the fullback, he fumbles, muffs it, picks it up, and returns it. I said, first of all, fullback wouldn't return a, a kick in a million years if it was just a clean return. Add in the muff, and it, it's incredible what happened in that game. Yeah, I mean, it was weird. And it's one game. And granted, it's a, a home game against Houston. Like, you, you need to win there if you're the Jaguars and you have Super Bowl aspirations. But it's also just one game. We we see this every year. You know, teams go 0-2. Jags are 1-2. They, they head to London. Big game against Atlanta. It'd be much better coming out of that 2-2 two two than 1-3. But in terms of the way Trevor Lawrence is playing, I'm not concerned. He's still, in my opinion, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I do think they'll figure it out. Um, they're, they're moving the ball. Right. They've always been moving the ball. And last year, this was this was the thing. It was like those high leverage moments. They just haven't been there. I do think they'll get there. Um, you know, I, I'm not willing to put money on it right now that they've graded poorly in my in my ratings. But it's it's the type of thing that they have the talent. And, if, you know, especially once they get Cam Robinson back, the offensive line has been really playing poorly. I think the offense will start clicking defensively. I think they're a little bit underrated. Um, like they're, they're being talked about, like they're one of the league's worst defenses and Stroud, you know, shredded them. I'm not sure that I came away with that impression from that game, uh, but their defense does need to play better. They need to be closer to a league average defense if they're going to reach their potential. Yeah. Uh, two things. Um, like I think Trevor Lawrence is the only quarterback that has had three big time throws dropped. 
straight drops, and Calvin Ridley did his best job to to give away that game against Houston. I think what happened with the defense because it was playing really well, you know, through four or five series, and then when your offense keeps you know turning over the ball and like back breaking blocked field goals and missed field goals, eventually you get frustrated. You, you like you're exhausted, and you're like, we're not getting any support from our offense today, and and, and you could see how a game can turn and flip like that. Um, the only thing I will say, I still think, uh, if the, I, I never believed in the true Super Bowl ceiling of the Jaguars, despite how good I think Trevor Lawrence is, because I don't think they match up well against the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Bills, or even a healthy Bengals offense. It's just a matter of circumstance. I still do think they're going to win the division. I'm a little bit happy about Houston. Uh, as you know, I was uh, above market on Houston. Their O-line doesn't resemble what I was bullish on. Like, nobody's there. But I I like Stroud. I still think he's the best quarterback in this class. And uh, Carolina's probably sitting there watching Stroud and Anthony Richardson and, and wondering why they got themselves this tiny man who is supposed to lead their, their franchise long-term. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. Clark, let's look at the markets because the markets have gone crazy since opening up. Uh, let's start off with um, Detroit, Green Bay. Uh, it looks like, you know, Green Bay money's coming on. Do you anticipate Green Bay closing the favorite when it's all said and done once we get some injury news about po- positive injury news for them? It does depend on that injury report. I mean, the, on both sides. There there are some key injuries on both sides, but especially Green Bay. Jair Alexander also did not play, which wasn't even in my notes because I think that was like, he wasn't even a game time. I think they just, he just they didn't play him. It was weird. Um, and then on offense, obviously, Elton Jenkins. Uh, you know, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Christian Watson, these are material pieces. So we're going to run the gamut from all playing to none playing to somewhere in between. And that's going to dictate the line movement. Um, I do think this probably stays under the three on either side, regardless of what the injury status is. Um, but it, I think there could be some, you know, some looks at teasers. If, if one of the sites goes up to one and a half to two and a half. Um, I do think if those guys are all ruled in, that the Packers will be favorites. Uh, I just don't think it'll get to three. All right. Uh, comment to Jay Moore who says, Dasani, worst water ever. How is G drinking that? I'm convinced if you don't like Dasani, you uh, brush your teeth before eating breakfast. That's that's my opinion on that. Clark, let's look at this Cincinnati-Tennessee line because uh, at one point, Tennessee was favorite yesterday. And, you know, once Burrow got ruled in for last night's game, obviously the line is flipped. But the line is still sitting under the three which represents a diminished price on Joe Burrow. Um, obviously not full health. Do we, do we see some Burrow optimism or are people going to forget about those bad throws and say, hey, they're one and two and it's Joe Burrow and I'm getting him under a field goal? Do you see this thing getting to a field goal by kickoff? It might. It might. I mean, you're talking about a team on the other side that just got beat 27 to three by a team that everyone was low on coming off the Monday night football game. Um, so, you know, asking Burrow to just win by a field goal, which he just did, <clears throat> you know, on, on Monday Night Football, it is not that much to ask. Like, it's a big the, – the key numbers are more key when you're betting on quarterbacks like Joe Burrow, right? Because you can just see the end game scenarios where you're like, you know, yeah. give me that tied game late and and the ball in Joe Burrow's hands and Bengals are going to win by three. Like, that's the that's what people are going to hope for. But this Titans defensive line is, is so good. And like I said, Burrow still hasn't shown that mobility. So it, it's a queasy bet. Uh, but I do think it's more likely to hit three than to, to move the other way. Yeah, I, I'm actually curious to see what their pass game looks against this uh, Tennessee secondary, which it just 
they allow you to get yards. They don't care. Everybody's going to throw for 300 against yeah. the Titans, even the struggling uh, Browns, Deshaun Watson. Even he looked pretty good against this Titans secondary. What about the Chargers and Raiders game? It, it opened four and a half. Uh, some places were lower. It's up to five and a half, six on the news that Jimmy G has a concussion or is in concussion protocol. I have two questions for you. If Jimmy G comes back and he's cleared for this game, do you anticipate this line going back closer to the four that it opened? And if he's ruled out, are we probably going to see a number over seven? You know, it, it's tricky. I, I've been staying off that game for that reason. I, I have a, one of my rules is never bet a quarterback uh, the week following a concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I think, I think there would be some hesitance to, to back Jimmy G, even if he is ruled in. Um, so I'm not sure that we see it go all the way back down. I, I mean, so the backup would be Hoyer, right? Not Aiden O'Connell. Yeah. That's I, the, that's a question we were unsure of. Like Hoyer is technically backing him up, but why not start Aiden O'Connell? What are you going to see in Hoyer that we haven't seen in his 15 year career? Yeah. I mean, if the Raiders aren't ready to throw in the towel for the year, then I think it's Hoyer. Um, although Aiden O'Connell may be better. I don't know. Um, I, I, I doubt it gets above seven just because of the way the Chargers uh, have been playing this year, right? They they haven't run the ball particularly effectively. Maybe Austin Eckler comes back, but their defense hasn't been very good at all. So you're talking about, you know, Josh Jacobs bullying that weak Chargers run defense. Uh, it's tough to see the Chargers just kind of roll the Raiders here. I don't think betters are going to be eager to be laying a ton of points with Justin Herbert. So, um, yeah, I mean, six sounds about right. Maybe gets to seven with a backup. I don't think it was any higher. All right, let's talk about one more line move that confused me a little. Um, the line opened one and a half for Seattle, and I felt that was just a little a touch high. I thought I have I make Seattle one. It's not like this is a huge uh, huge edge, but it's it flipped early to the Giants, and um, and and then we hear the news that Saquon might play. And there might be maybe some people got a piece of info, but are you surprised it flipped this early to the Giants? And do you still see it the money coming in on the Giants the rest of the week? You know, I'm not sure. I think the bigger news was that both the offensive linemen, Andrew Thomas and Berylson, that were out last week, are supposed to play this week. Yeah. And and so I think, you know, whether or not Saquon plays, those two will make a huge difference in this game. Um, I also think that there's like you know, we're still early in the season. And so outlier results, you still have to kind of find a way to mitigate the impact of those. And so yes. we've had two outlier results with the with the Giants where they got crushed by the Cowboys and crushed by the 49ers. Two of the best defenses in the league, especially the way the Cowboys were that first week. Um, and so you kind of have to be like, well, you know, the Giants are going to be materially better against a bad defense. And Seattle's defense hasn't played that well. So I, I do think that there's multiple reasons, not just injury related for the money coming in on the Giants. Um, and then also people are dissecting the Seahawks Panthers film and, and game and realizing that the Seahawks weren't actually that good in that game. No. Um, they really were just kind of mediocre against Carolina until Carolina's defense was half hurt. Right. And and then they just kind of ran the ball until the game ended. So I think there's a combination of things happening here as, as the days go by. And, and I'm not surprised to see Giants money come in. Yeah, the only thing I will say is I'm, I'm I've been surprised how good Seattle's run defense has been, and I think like it just shows you the impact of a guy like Bobby Wagner, not just from a, what he does as an individual perspective, just a, an organizational perspective, putting guys in right positions, uh, that leadership, and uh, this will be an interesting test if 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 it's going to require Daniel Jones to beat him through the air, 
Let's talk about the Thursday night football game in, in detail because there's a lot of people in our community, Clark, that uh, have some nice tickets on the Packers uh, to win the division, you know, plus 400s, plus 500s. We all, uh, other than Joey Kanish, we probably all want to see a Green Bay win. Um, tell me what is the key to this matchup? Let's let's break it down for the people. When you start to think of this game and how they match up, where do you begin your process? I think I'm not totally sure who the Lions defense is still, you know, like week one, I thought they played really well, but it was also, you know, Chiefs without Kelsey, like breaking in a bunch of new receivers, you know, some first game jitters. Wrong two, balls. It could have been, yeah. been worse than, than the story said. Yeah. Week two, they they were really bad against Seattle. They, they put up no fight uh, pretty much whatsoever. Um, and then week three, they looked really good against Atlanta. And, and it's kind of like, well, it's Atlanta, right? Like, are we, I was convinced that Atlanta's offense was going to be decent. And I, I feel like, it was more so the Lions defense playing well than the Falcons offense uh, not playing well. It's a bit of both, but I think it was more so the Lions defense. And so if they can continue to build on that defensive side, even without CJ Gardner Johnson, uh, without, you know, James Houston, and, you know, I think they play without Mosley as well, right? So, I mean, it's like they're overcoming a lot of injuries and I was expecting them to kind of fold and they didn't fold. So if they can really step up on defense and make things difficult for Jordan Love, then I think the Lions have the advantage in this game and they're probably the better team. Um, so, but if, if the Lions defense is, oh, same old Lions defense, like especially with these injuries and the Packers can control the line of scrimmage, then, you know, I think the Packers at home, you know, Jared Goff and Lambeau, like th- this is the type of situation where the Packers can really exert themselves as the best team in the division, but they're going to need all those guys healthy. If those guys aren't healthy, then it's going to be an uphill battle um, and definitely edged to the Lions. Yeah, um, the one thing uh, I'd like to see if Jair Alexander's in the game. Um, if he's not, then there's a lot of pressure on Russell Douglas to keep up with, uh, you know, uh, frankly, an offensive coordinator who draws up some good uh, wide receiver wide receiver designs. And a guy like Amon Rock could have a big game. You know, uh, oftentimes I like watching um, primetime games when I don't have money on them. It's a pure learning experience. You you view the game a lot differently when you're looking at it straight up. Um, without a bias in it. But what's also nice is when you have a future on a team, it almost feels like you have a bet, even though you don't have money on it, right? There's a Green Bay wins very, very good for us, right? Even, even if we don't bet them to win this game. Um, All right. That, that pretty much settles it. Clark, there are some big games this week. Um, Dolphins and Bills, there's Ravens and Browns. Uh, I want to know what your game you're most looking forward to this week and what's your sleeper game that you're probably looking forward to, but you don't think other people uh, maybe have it as high on the radar for, for themselves. <laughs> I'm going to have to check the schedule for that second one. But the first one is is definitely Dolphins-Bills. I mean, this this is like the best matchup of the season so far, in my opinion. The, yeah. the, the Dolphins go against a legitimate defense that has played them several times and has time to prepare. Like this is... This is the ultimate test, right? They go in there and the Bills can't stop this offense, then, you know, wheels off, right? Wheels up um, on the road in Buffalo, right? Uh, And on the other side, like, we haven't seen Josh Allen really go toe-to-toe in a game where he needed to, right? We saw week one where didn't look good against the, you know, the Jets defense that always beats him. Um, And then week two and three, it just hasn't really been much of a contest. He hasn't really had to do 
you know, win the game for the team. They got a lot of short fields against Washington and, and you know, things like that. So I'm excited to see a potential shootout. I think last last year it was 37-34 in their second game. Uh, and that was in weather, too. I mean, <laughs> I understand why the total is so high here. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm, su- I'm super pumped. Uh, yeah. For the other one, I mean, I think the – I think the – the Seahawks Giants is the other one, Monday Night Football, right? So you've got two teams that are on that cusp of NFC potential playoff teams, right? I mean, the Giants have a bit of a tough road, but they're potentially good enough if they can win these types of games. Um, and then Seattle is kind of the same way, right? They're they're on that cut. These teams are going to hover near 50-50 on the, on the year. And winning these games is going to be the difference between who is, you know, in the lottery and who's in the playoffs. Um, so I'm excited to see that one play out too. Uh, for me, the sleeper, obviously, Bills and Dolphins is my game of the week and probably everybody's who doesn't uh, cheer for Cleveland and Baltimore. But my uh, my sleeper game is New England-Dallas. I um, I was talking with Suma and Cleve about where the number's going to go because it's sitting at seven right now. And, and I wondered if it would get under the seven. And their response was, you know, it's an auto bet for Dallas if they if it gets under the seven. And I and I I kind of scratched my head. I was, I was a little bit um, um, confused. And if you if you remember, we had conversations. I I felt a little bit stronger on New England than others, and I still value Dallas highly. But Dallas showed some stuff in Arizona, and we could say they let down and they had struggles in the red zone. But defensively, they they gave up a chunk, a lot of chunk plays. And um, I think this is a pretty good test to see where Mac Jones and this offense is four games in um, against a team like like against Miami. um, It's pretty obvious you're going to have some success offensively. And then uh, against Philly, they played really well, but they were just playing out of a hole. And last week against the Jets, that's a tough game to have some offense. I'd like to learn a lot more about New England this week. I I would uh, I think it is going to head under the seven because I think. Uh, I think there will be some um, intrigue for New England. At least I'm intrigued by this game. I think it's a, it's a sleeper game to learn about where New England's level is and if they are going to be competitive for a wild card spot this year, and to learn about Dallas's level before their game against San Francisco next week. So that's my sleeper game that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see it. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting game. The, the The problem is Mac Jones under pressure, right? If if the Cowboys' defensive line plays well. Granted, you know, Arizona did a bunch of things to kind of mix that up and create holes that, that I'm not sure the Patriots have the personnel to do, but maybe they do. Um, I can see both sides of that game. I won't, I won't be surprised by any line movement. I've, there's only been one game this year that I've been surprised by the line movement. Well, other than week one, but that, that's like a whole different story. Um, and that was last week with the Bills, right? The, the Bills were six and a half point favorites against Washington. And I bet it early. I was like, oh, I want to get this before it gets to seven. And then it ended up like five. At, I'd, I'd, I'd never understood that. Um, that was the only bet that I made that had negative CLV. One, I know it's, it always happens that way, right? When the market's completely against me, that's when I win. But um, but other than that, I've been pretty right on with like the way things are moving. Um, this one, I, I would lean that it goes lower. I'm with you in that in that debate. As we say that, uh, Chris, a book with market influence has gone to six and a half. Um, maybe somebody in the chat is listening. 
Uh, that being said, uh, Clark, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed breaking down the film. And anytime that you uh, text me Monday morning, let's talk about Tua. You you got you get me excited. So uh, happy to do it. I cannot wait to to see what games we watch next week. And we're not picking the the games that everybody watched. We're we're picking some obscure stuff that maybe people didn't have their full attention to. So that for that, I enjoy it. As a reminder, Forward Progress will be back again tomorrow at 2 with Rob Pozzola, Eric Eager, Suma, and Hitman giving you their best bets and breaking down games from a betting perspective. Drop us a like before you bounce. That's it for me. Thanks to Sharp Clark. Thanks to producer Jason. And thanks to you, the audience. Until next time.